If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. They've been with Jesus since before his birth and will remain with him for eternity in heaven. Angels are uniquely blessed among all created beings. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reflects on the profound relationship that has always existed between the heavenly host and the Son of God. Continuing the series, Angels, here's David to introduce his message, Angels and Jesus. Well, thank you for joining us. Here's a brand new thought on angels. And the thought is that Jesus had a special relationship with the angels of heaven while he was on this earth. We're going to take you through that little study, that little journey, and I think you'll be uh, as encouraged and perhaps amazed as I was when it first became part of my understanding. So we'll uh, continue our discussion of angels, and we'll do the first part of Angels and Jesus today. We'll come back on Monday, and that's part two of Angels and Jesus. And then there's a wrap-up session on Tuesday called Angels and You. You don't want to miss any of these uh, remaining sessions on the subject of angels. And uh, we'll be finished with this discussion. We still have a few more days in the month, and we'll be telling you more about those a little bit later. But what this reminds me to tell you is this. The month of July is evaporating. It's almost gone. And so you don't have many days left if you haven't already ordered your copy of the book from which this series originated. Once again, the book is called Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, What the Bible Reveals. 240 pages written in article chapter form. And all of the information you've been hearing on the radio, you'll find in printed form here with footnotes and stories and everything that you've been looking for. There's a full index topically, a full index scripturally. It's a very handy book to help you understand angels and their place in the world today. You can have your copy for a gift of any size during the month of July. Please ask for your copy when you send your gift today. Well, here we go. Angels and Jesus. I know a man personally who has had more encounters with angels than anyone in history. In the course of his lifetime, angels, both good and evil, have appeared to him many times. He has conversed with angels, argued with them, silenced a few of them, believe it or not, and claimed on one occasion to have several thousand of them at his disposal. He knows more about angels than any other human being, and not because he's read all the books on angels, but because he created all the angels. The man's name, of course, is Jesus Christ. It is an awesome thing to think about the angels and Jesus. For you see, we see Jesus as the sinless Son of God. The angels knew him long before he ever became a man. How must they have entered into his coming to this earth? 
How must they have wanted to inquire about the reason for his coming? To understand it, to comprehend it, to be able to talk about it with each other. But of course the Bible tells us that all they could do was to look into it. They could not understand it. Certainly that's what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter 1.12 when he wrote, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And I underline this in my Bible, which things angels desire to look into. That's all they can do is try to understand it. Because as we have learned in this series, Jesus Christ did not come into the world to redeem angels. No fallen angels will ever be redeemed. They are set forever in their rebellion. And redemption's not about God and angels. Redemption's about God and man. So angels, when they look at what is happening in the plan of redemption, can only inquire into it. They can't comprehend what it's all about. When Jesus came to this earth, the angels watched from heaven. They watched as he was born into the world of humanity. How they must have been thrilled to see their creator clothed in the garments of humanness. But as we shall learn in this rapid survey of the life of our Lord, they did far more than watch him from heaven. They were involved with him in almost every step of his journey on planet earth. And just as they had worshipped him before he came, which was their holy occupation, they were commanded by God himself to continue their worship of him after he came. In fact, Hebrews 1, 6 says it this way, But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. So even though Jesus left heaven and his throne of glory, he was never outside of the worship of the angels of God. When Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy, he gave a little summary statement of the life of our Lord on this earth, and it's interesting that he included angels in that statement. In 1 Timothy 3.16, we read these words, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen by the angels. There it is. The angels were involved in the life of the Lord Jesus when he walked upon this earth. In fact, there are at least seven major events in the life of our Lord where the angels were involved with him. And it's interesting that as you see these events, like mountain peaks across a whole landscape of mountains... It is at these moments of crisis in the plan of redemption that the angels appear almost as if to punctuate these moments and say to all of us as we read the scripture, this is an important moment. This is a crisis moment in redemption. They heralded his birth. They ministered to him in his temptation. They strengthened him in his hour of agony. They proclaimed the triumph of his resurrection. They escorted him to heaven in his ascension. And yes, they will accompany him when he comes back the second time. First to take us to be with him and then to take possession of this earth himself. So I want us to walk through the landscape of our Lord's journey on this earth. And 
I'm going to ask you to follow along, and if you take notes, I've got some signposts along the way, and you can see how Jesus was ministered to by the angels, even as they minister to us. First of all, the angels anticipated his coming. Six months before the angel Gabriel came to tell Mary about the birth of Jesus, this very same angel was dispatched by God to a priest in Israel whose name was Zechariah. Now, Zechariah and his wife had been childless, and they had been praying for a son. The purpose of the angelic visit to Zechariah was to tell him that his wife, Elizabeth, was going to have a baby. And, of course, after many years of childlessness, this was good news. That son, according to the angel, would be called John the Baptist, and he would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And we read about him in Luke 1.13. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. This, you see, was a preview, an anticipation of the coming of the Lord Jesus. For when John was born, he was born to be the voice crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And everywhere he went, he was telling people that Jesus was coming after him and that people should behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And the interchange between Mary, after she was told of the birth of Jesus, and Elizabeth, who had been told of the birth of her son, links together these two births in a very wonderful, mysterious way, as if to say, there is something to be anticipated, there is something yet coming And that something is a someone whose name was Jesus Christ. The angels anticipated the coming of Christ. And secondly, the angels announced his birth. We always talk about this at Christmas time. The angels, and particularly Gabriel, were given the responsibility of communicating the coming of Christ to this earth. First to Mary, then to Joseph, then to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, and it was an angel who first spoke Jesus' name. Did you know that? And after Jesus was born, it was an angel who protected him from Herod's cruel plan and an angel who alerted them that it was time to go back to Israel again. Six months after Zechariah was told about John's birth, Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her that she was going to give birth to a child and that this child would be the long-awaited Messiah and Savior of the world. Luke 1, 26 and 27 records it. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, while Mary was given this personal explanation of what was to happen to her in this miraculous virgin birth, her husband Joseph was not, at this point in time at least, given that information. Every year when we celebrate Christmas and I preach the narratives of the Christmas story, I'm always intrigued by the inner torment that must have plagued Joseph when he first began to understand without any divine revelation about his wife Mary. And so, in condescending love and concern, God once again dispatched his angel to send Joseph special information. And we read that when in Matthew 1.20, that while Joseph was thinking about these things, about the things concerning Mary, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph could not have known any of that had the angel not come to give him that message. And I mentioned to you that it was an angel who first gave the name Jesus to the world. Oh, there had been many others before this Jesus who had had that name. It was a rather popular name among the Jews. But this particular Jesus was to be different. Matthew 1.21, we are told that an angel said that she will bring forth the Son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, looking back on it, we read that when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. Notice the next phrase. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. It was the angel who had given the name Jesus to the world. The precious name that we love so much. It was the lips of an angel who first spoke the precious name of Jesus. And then, of course, as we continue to see his life, we see the announcement that was made to the shepherds. And of all the events that surround our Lord's life and his birth, this is one of my favorites. I'd like for you to try to imagine with me for a moment what it must have been like. And I know this isn't Christmas, but give me a little head start, if you will. Imagine what it must have been like out on the hills of Bethlehem when the message from the angels came. Imagine several shepherds huddled around a small campfire in the middle of the field. They're wearing coats made of camel's hair for warmth. They have huddled in the lee of a hill to get out of the wind. Some of them are talking softly while others are curled up in beds they made by piling rushes in the middle of oblongs outlined by stones. It is quiet except for the occasional tinkle of a bell around a lead sheep's neck or someone's cough or the sound of a stick crackling in the fire. It's really hard for us to imagine how quiet that night must have been at that time and in that place. You see, there were no cars, there were no planes, there were no boom boxes blurring out the latest hits. And when Luke wrote in his gospel, and lo, he was saying, suddenly, all at once, without any warning signal, an angel came upon them. Must have been something like a jet breaking the sound barrier over their head. Got their attention, I promise you. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the angels said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Luke 2, 9 and 10. Jesus is now born, and he's a young child. And wicked Herod is concerned about the news he has heard concerning his birth. After the birth of Jesus, the angels do not abandon him, but they continue to show great concern for him. And it was angels who warned Jesus and his parents about Herod's cruel plan. Notice Matthew 2.13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And so... Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, took Jesus and they went to Egypt. How would they know when it was safe to come back? Oh, don't worry. God has an angel ready to bring them the news. For we read in Matthew 2, 19 and 20, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. 
So now Jesus' parents knew it was time to bring him back to Israel. You see, all along the way, announcing it to John the Baptist's parents, announcing it to Mary, announcing it to Joseph, telling the lowly shepherds, making sure they're protected from Herod's cruel plan, letting them know when it's time to go back. All of this is the angelic intervention in the life of Jesus. With each of the major angelic interventions in the life of Jesus, we have provided our modern hymn writers with lyrics about the life of Jesus that are so precious to us. I just love Christmas season, but you know, we shouldn't just talk about the incarnation once a year. We should talk about it often. And some of the greatest hymns that have ever been written have been written about the coming of the Lord Jesus to this earth. Have you noticed, however, how prominent in all of these Christmas hymns are the mention of angels? Watch. While shepherds watch their flocks by night, The angels of the Lord came down and glory shone around. The first Noel, the angels did say to certain poor shepherds in fields as they lay. Oh, come all ye faithful. The second stanza goes like this. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exultation. Oh, sing all ye bright hosts of heaven above. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Describes the angels gathered all above while mortals sleep. The angels keep their watch of wondering love. And later, the morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. And in the fourth stanza of that hymn we read, we hear the Christmas angels, their great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. And then, of course, hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Silent night, even, mentions angels. Glory stream from heaven above. Heavenly hosts sing alleluia. It came upon the midnight clear. Angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. And later in the hymn, it goes like this. Still through the cloven skies, they come with peaceful wings unfurled. And still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lowly plains, they bend on hovering wing, and ever, oh, its babble sounds, the blessed angels sing. You can't sing Christmas without singing about the angels, because throughout all of the story of the incarnation of our Lord is the mention of the angels' intervention in his life. Not only did the angels anticipate his coming and announce his birth, but In his life, they also assisted him in his temptation. Thirty years after the birth of Jesus, we next find the angels involved in his life. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and then he faced three intense temptations from Satan. And the angels were there, and they ministered to him. Did you know that? It says in Mark 1.13, And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Matthew 4.11 adds, Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Please note that the angels did not minister to Jesus during his temptation, but after it was completed. He waged his warfare against the enemy in the power of the Holy Spirit, unaided by anyone. But when the battle was over and the victory had been won, we are told that the angels came and ministered to him.
And the word ministered in the New Testament language carries with it the idea of the spreading out of a table, of nourishment and of strength. Remember, Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and I can see the angels coming down from glory, bringing angel food cake, right? That's what you would expect. In fact, someone has suggested that what happened to Jesus in the garden was very much like what happened to Elijah when the angels ministered to him. You've probably forgotten that, but look it up with me. 1 Kings 19. Elijah, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. I think that's sort of what happened to Jesus after the temptation was over. The angels came down and spread out a table and ministered to him and encouraged him and strengthened him. Number four, the angels also attended Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus had withdrawn from the other disciples and was left alone with Peter, James, and John, we are told that he began to enter into his agony. Do you comprehend that? Do you know what that means? The three disciples had never seen anything like this before in their whole lives, and they had watched Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. They didn't know what it was about. In fact, when they tried to describe what they saw in the Garden of Gethsemane, they seemed at a loss for words. One of them said, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Another one said, he began to be sore amazed and very heavy. And still another one said, and being in agony. The Bible says that his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Oh, the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Great scholars and Bible teachers have tried to unravel what that was all about. And we must, all of us, say there's a mystery about it that we cannot comprehend. It was certainly not Jesus asking to be excused from the cross because that's the reason for which he was born. But the best ideas that I have been able to find have to do with the fact that it was there in his humanity for the very first time since he walked upon this earth that it suddenly dawned on Jesus Christ what it meant to take the sin of the whole world upon him and as he staggered under the weight and load of that and the separation from his father, he prayed in his human way, Lord, if there's some other way, but not my will, but thine be done. The writer of Hebrews summarizes the anguish that Jesus felt in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Hebrews 5, 7, he writes, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, was heard because of his godly fear. And Luke tells us, listen up, class. Luke tells us that in the midst of this intense agony, watch this, Jesus was ministered to by an angel. Luke twenty-two, forty-three, and 44. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The word strengthen here means to invigorate, to make strong, to make firm. Well, we'll have some more of this on Monday as we continue our discussion of angels and Jesus. As we come to the end of this week, I want to remind you again, as I have been doing uh, rather intensely, that being in church is really important. There's so many studies out there about what's happening in churches post-pandemic, 
and the studies are not encouraging. Uh, according to many of the experts, people who went to church before the pandemic and stopped going for over a year, many of them will never return. It will be to their own demise. It will be to their own uh, worsening situation. But they got lazy and they got easily captivated by all the other stuff they can do on Sunday. And all of a sudden, church is eliminated from their schedule. I hope you're not one of them because I can almost predict what will happen if you are. So get back to church. If you're not sick or you're not vulnerable, especially if you've been vaccinated or you've already had the disease, get back to church. You're needed. Your presence is important. You will be blessed by being there, but that's just part of it. You'll be a blessing to someone else. We're seeing this happen right before our eyes at Shadow Mountain Church, and it's such a wonderful thing, such an excitement and enthusiasm about being back in the house of God. So let's retake the lost ground and get on with reaching our communities. Go to church this Sunday. We'll be on television, hopefully not when you're supposed to be in church, but if we are, you go to church, um, record our service, and watch it when you can when you get home. But most of all, have a great weekend. And be sure to join us here on Monday as we continue our discussion of angels and Jesus. I'm David Jeremiah. Thanks for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current teaching series, Angels, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's book, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, What the Bible Reveals. It will help you separate fact from fiction about angels, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to instantly access our content. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.org slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series Angels here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. On more than one occasion, I have heard a well-meaning person say something like this. My God would never turn someone away from heaven, or my God would never forgive some people but not others. 
Statements such as those to be accurate ought to be prefaced with the phrase, in my opinion. Opinions are fine when it comes to personal preferences or things that might happen in the future. But when it comes to matters the Bible clearly addresses, opinions have to yield to facts. Regardless of what we wish was true, we are obligated to submit our preferences to what the Bible says. And this is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover what God has said on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.